Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. Published in 2020, this pivotal work dissects the ways in which mainstream feminism has historically centered the experiences and challenges of primarily white women, often overlooking the pressing issues faced by women of color and those within marginalized communities. Mickey Kendall advocates for a more inclusive feminism, one that actively includes the voices of all women, especially those from disadvantaged backgrounds. As an author with an impressive pedigree, Kendall's writings have graced the pages of renowned publications such as The Guardian, The Washington Post, The Boston Globe, and Time. Her voice is a crucial one in contemporary discussions on race, feminism, and popular culture. Drawing from her experiences as a veteran and her life in Chicago, Kendall brings a grounded and multifaceted perspective to these subjects. Hood Feminism is an essential read for feminists who wish to broaden their understanding of the movement, women of color striving for representation and change, and anyone seeking to deepen their grasp of the intersection between race and feminism. Join us as we explore the call for an urgent and expanded vision of social justice and equality in feminism through the insightful lens of Mickey Kendall. Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women that a Movement Forgot Introduction, Bringing Feminism to All Women a call for inclusivity and action. Imagine a table where the feast of equality and rights is spread wide, but not everyone is invited to dine. This is the scenario with current feminist movements, which often cater to a select group, leaving many women hungrily looking on from the fringes. Mickey Kendall argues that it's time to extend a universal invitation to make sure feminism is truly representative of all women from all walks of life. This revisioning means re-evaluating the core concerns of the feminist agenda. It's about recognizing the importance of tackling systemic poverty, not just a paycheck disparity issue, but the kinds of endemic financial struggles that can shape a woman's entire life. It's about the right to vote and be an active citizen without hidden barriers of race, class, or socioeconomic status gating the path. Because fundamentally, feminism isn't about a few women breaking glass ceilings. It's about building a world where every woman has the hammer to forge her own path. In the narrative that unfolds here, you'll explore. The way childhood poverty casts a long shadow over future prospects. The troubling implications of how society labels young girls based on prejudiced perceptions. The complex dynamics when women gain positions of power and respect, and how it can sometimes serve as a barometer but not as a victory for all. Part 1. Expanding the Feminist Tent. Embracing the Needs of Minority Women. Mickey Kendall weaves a tale of unsung resilience as she recollects her grandmother's legacy, a woman of staunch resolve born in the era of the Roaring Twenties. Despite never proclaiming herself a feminist, she championed education and independence in her daughters, embodying a strength that questioned traditional feminist narratives. While the feminist movement blazed trails during her grandmother's time, it often did so on the backs of women like her, who remained unseen, 
managing households as white women ventured out to work. Yet these same domestic roles were neither glamorous nor liberating and failed to reflect their true struggles. The lesson here is strikingly clear. Feminism has too frequently catered to a white audience, leaving minority women in an eclipse. Kendall's grandmother, rooted in the ideals of her time, embraced the concept of ladylike behavior as a shield against the double-edged sword of racial and gender discrimination. This disconnect highlights a broader chasm where issues pivotal to women of color seldom echo in the halls of mainstream feminism, be it healthcare that transcends just reproductive rights, the right to education, or even the basic necessity of adequate nourishment. In a defining moment at the 2015 Oscars, Patricia Archetti's call for wage equality resonated, yet her words inadvertently laid bare the monochromatic expectation of solidarity within feminism. She beckoned for support from marginalized communities as though their fight was over, revealing an unsettling obliviousness to their ongoing plight and the levels of support they still require. This narrative serves as a powerful reminder that feminism's reach must be omnidirectional, inclusive, and truly cognizant of the multifaceted hurdles minority women face. For feminism to be a beacon of true equity, it must earnestly extend its solidarity across color lines, breaking down barriers to uplift the tapestry of all women's experiences. Part 2. Addressing Poverty, a Critical Blind Spot in Progressive Feminism Picture this, a reality where 42 million voices in America are stifled by hunger, an inescapable whisper that follows them through every aspect of their lives. Among these, the vast majority are women and children living under the crushing weight of poverty. Mickey Kendall recounts this harsh reality from her own past, contrasting the depiction of hardship as a tale of triumph with the enduring scars hunger leaves behind. Here lies an uncomfortable truth. Progressive movements, even with the best intentions, can sometimes fail to grasp the persistent shadow of poverty. And this is the profound dilemma. Progressive thought can sometimes inflict unintended harm upon those it aims to uplift. Take the example of soda taxes, introduced in cities across the United States as a health initiative. For struggling households, where even the water supply isn't guaranteed to be safe, soda often becomes a default choice, not out of neglect or ignorance, but as a lesser evil among limited, affordable options. When cheap drinks other than soda present hazards like mold and fungicides, families are caught between a rock and a hard place. Similarly, the narrative of housing and gentrification reveals another dimension where well-meaning progressivism clashes with the lived experiences of women of color. As white women, impacted by the wage gap, move to more affordable neighborhoods, they inadvertently catalyze gentrification. This economic upheaval can displace communities of color that once found refuge in those very neighborhoods. The intention to improve one's living situation ends up eroding the living situation of others. In the face of systemic inequalities, countless women contend not with aspirations of home ownership or a diet of organic produce, but with the immediate concern of keeping the lights on and putting food on the table. In this survivalist mode, the feminist focus on broader thematic issues often misses the mark, 
overlooking urgent necessities that dictate daily life for many. Kendall urges a new chapter in feminism, one that acknowledges and actively supports the struggle against poverty. It is imperative that feminism, along with allies in political arenas, attune their efforts to realities of survival, recognizing the diverse needs of all women as deserving of support and actionable solutions. Only then can progressivism genuinely extend its reach to those grappling with the most basic needs, creating a more inclusive and equitable future for every woman and child. Part 3. The Unseen Struggle of Black Girls Growing Up Amidst Poverty Mickey Kendall's personal journey sheds light on how labels and stereotypes cruelly thrust upon young black girls shape their existence. Before they fully comprehend the weight of words, they're branded as fast-tailed girls, a judgment that taints their innocence. This label is applied indiscriminately, triggered by simple actions such as engaging in conversations with boys, experimenting with makeup, or the natural changes of puberty. Let's delve into this pivotal insight. In poverty's grip, society often fails to lend black girls the support they crucially need. This labeling isn't just mean-spirited name-calling, it's symptomatic of a much more profound tendency to blame victims instead of addressing the root causes of abuse. The protective intent behind warnings about being fast may be genuine, but the consequence is an unjust narrative where the victim is positioned as being responsible for the assault. The statistics are both staggering and heartbreaking. A significant percentage of black girls in the U.S. experience sexual abuse by the time they turn 18. Yet the support systems that should catch these young girls when they fall short, often they are met with ineffective programs that focus solely on preventing pregnancy or teach job skills, while the psychological trauma they endure remains unaddressed. And schools, which should act as sanctuaries, can sometimes reinforce these distressing biases. The presence of law enforcement in educational settings, while perhaps intended to maintain order, usually bears a heavy cost for Black and Latinx students. Rather than creating a nurturing environment, these students encounter a school-to-prison pipeline that escalates disciplinary issues into criminal ones, with a disproportionate impact on students of color. Evidence of this excessive policing is as close as the latest news cycle, with videos documenting incidents of school security officers using extreme force against black girls, a painful showcase of the misuse of power. These visuals demand a confrontation with an uncomfortable question. Whom do these measures protect? And what future do they promise our young women of color? The narrative points towards a larger societal failure, a collective turning away from the vulnerabilities and particular needs of young black girls in poverty. As educators pledge to protect the youth, it's imperative they recognize that true safety transcends physical security. It calls for safeguarding dignity, supporting mental health, and affirming the worth of every child within the educational system. Only then can the cycle of under-support and over-criminalization break, allowing for a future that honors and lifts these young women instead of perpetually letting them down. Part 4. Confronting Colorism and Its Impact on Black Women's Body Image Mickey Kendall shares an intimate portrait of her childhood experiences with appearance and identity as she recalls the painful moments 
of having her naturally textured hair forcibly altered with harsh chemicals at the tender age of three. The societal obsession with altering black girls' features presents a disheartening struggle of conforming to a narrow beauty standard. It is a stark reality that body image issues cut deeply into the lives of black girls. This prevailing issue finds its roots in colorism an insidious hierarchy that grants privilege or meets out discrimination based on skin tone, particularly within communities of color. Dark-skinned individuals have historically borne the brunt of this bias, facing systemic obstacles in the job market, disproportionate incarceration rates, and societal exclusion. Colorism drives many to use dangerous skin-lightening products, all for the elusive promise of acceptance and opportunity. Mainstream feminism often engages in discussions about beauty standards, primarily focusing on the male gaze and its implications, yet it rarely tackles the unique beauty struggles of black women with the same vigor and attention. When it comes to disordered eating, too, the societal lens appears to sharpen when white women's battles are in focus, while the struggles of women of color remain blurred and underaddressed in the public eye. The narrator, Kendall, admits her own ongoing battle with an eating disorder that began in high school, where accolades often accompany weight loss in the black community, overshadowing the underlying distress. The disorder persists discreetly, exacerbated by stress and the societal pressures that remain unaddressed. Girls of color frequently walk invisible tightropes, balancing traumatic experiences with societal norms that idolize whiteness as the apex of beauty. While the image of the strong black woman looms large, the fragilities and needs of black girls can become obscured and unaddressed, leaving them to navigate their health challenges without the necessary support. The stark conclusion is that feminism, which claims to champion the rights and well-being of all women, must sharpen its focus and embrace the complexities of colorism and related body image issues as they specifically affect black girls and women. The movement must broaden its scope to provide a more inclusive and supportive space that acknowledges these challenges and actively seeks to redress them. Only through such recognition and action can feminism live up to its principles of equality and advocacy for every woman, regardless of color. Part 5. Reproductive Rights and Parenting. A Different Perspective from the Margins. The feminist conversation on reproductive rights and parenting often unfolds in a context scattered with philosophical dilemmas and ethical considerations, a debate rich at the crossroads of freedom and morality, but through the lens of women from underprivileged backgrounds, like Mickey Kendall, these issues gain a different shade, one steeped in stark realities rather than theoretical musings. Domestic challenges can take on a sinister shape in the world Kendall describes, recounting a harrowing episode from her childhood where a drunken relative's aggression cast a long shadow. She pinpoints how such events shift your perception of what it means to feel secure in your home and to protect your children. Here is the heart of the matter. For those in marginalized communities, the discussion around parenting and reproductive rights is not just complex. It's an entirely different reality. Poverty constrains parenting in ways that often go unseen, as the tough choices demanded by financial instability can be misinterpreted as negligence. Choosing between food, electricity, or healthcare is a daily jigsaw puzzle where you're perennially missing pieces. 
In these environments, disputes over organic food or store boycotts, common topics among financially comfortable feminists, seem not just alien, but irrelevant. When the conversation steers toward reproductive rights, the terrain grows even more treacherous for women of color. Kendall's own life-altering decision to opt for an abortion due to health complications exposed her to venom from both sides. While pro-life activists subjected her to relentless attacks, her voice as a black woman within the pro-choice movement was patronized and largely ignored, with her unique concerns about safety and trust in the system going unheard. Beyond the abortion debate, reproductive realities for black women encompass life-threatening disparities in maternal mortality rates and a traumatic history of forced sterilizations that has disproportionately targeted indigenous women and women of color in vulnerable circumstances well into the modern era. Thus stands the inevitable conclusion. The fight for reproductive justice and safe parenting cannot be a homogeneous narrative led solely by the privileged. To genuinely uplift all women, feminism must amplify the voices, heed the distinct struggles, and champion the specific needs of those who huddle at the grim crossroads of poverty, race, and gender. Only with this comprehensive solidarity can the movement make strides toward true inclusivity and support. Part 6. Evaluating the Limits of Carceral Feminism for Women of Color It's a belief deeply entrenched in some circles of the feminist movement that the path to justice for gendered violence lies with law enforcement. This school of thought is known as carceral feminism, advocating for police intervention and strict legal penalties as the keystones in the fight against abuse. But the confidence that justice will be served through this system often stands on shaky ground, especially for women of color. Let's illuminate the core issue. The presumed protection and justice of policing starkly divides along racial lines, often offering more solace to white feminists than to communities of color. The journey from reporting abuse to finding oneself mired in economic hardship is a path too often walked by survivors. When the accused abuser is incarcerated, the victim, now potentially without any source of income, faces the looming specter of poverty and assistance programs rarely consider the full spectrum of an abuse survivor's needs, leaving a gaping chasm between immediate relief and long-term security. Moreover, the act of self-defense can dangerously backfire. The case of Cease MacDonald illuminates this harsh reality, where an act of necessary self-preservation led not to her attacker's prosecution, but to her own imprisonment. And beyond the feared repercussions and financial repercussions, there is an alarming undercurrent of neglected justice within minority communities. The contrast is chilling. A disproportionate number of black and indigenous people vanish without the level of investigative attention their white counterparts receive, often prompting their loved ones to seek answers where the system has failed them, through platforms like social media. This trend is exacerbated among indigenous women, where official records drastically underestimate the true scope of the issue, a glaring discrepancy that underscores a broader systemic neglect. What emerges from this landscape is a stark truth. Carceral feminism falls short. It fails to protect those whom it purports to save, perpetuating a vicious cycle where perpetrators simply shift their focus to those already marginalized 
by the very system designed to protect them. Therein lies the call to action. The feminist movement must transcend carceral solutions and foster solidarity that does not recognize racial boundaries. It involves the knitting together of communities, forging alliances that extend beyond the courtroom or the police station, grounding themselves in mutual aid and support networks. It's through this collective strength that feminism will find its true power to advocate for all women, particularly those who bear the brunt of multiple layers of discrimination. Part 7. The Complex Legacy of White Women in Power The aftermath of the 2016 election left many pondering how a sizable contingent of white women could cast their ballots for a candidate who seemed at odds with progressive values. Yet, delving back through history reveals a trend where problematic political figures have long found a foothold among white electorates. Disquietingly, some white women in influential roles have harnessed their platforms not to advance women's causes, but rather to champion regressive policies. The underlying message is as challenging as it is significant. The ascension of some white women to positions of influence has sometimes been a mixed blessing for the cause of feminism. This isn't a narrative about passive beneficiaries of a biased system. Rather, it's about active participants. The advancement of certain women into realms of power doesn't automatically translate into progress for all women. Sheryl Sandberg's stance on contentious political groups, Phyllis Schlafly's opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment, and Megyn Kelly's inflammatory remarks all serve as testaments to the complexity of political agency, how sometimes the steps of a few can cause many to stumble. As the discussion veers towards political participation, it becomes clear that casting a vote, a right hard-fought and won, is not an equal opportunity event. Voter suppression has transformed since the days of literacy tests and poll taxes, yet the intent remains unchanged, to dilute the voices of marginalized groups. In contemporary times, obstacles to voting manifest in subtle yet stifling ways, such as restrictive voter ID laws and the strategic diminishment of polling places in predominantly communities of color. The fight for women's rights in the 1920s did not conclude with the suffrage movement. Instead, it morphed into an ongoing battle for electoral fairness and representation. True feminist advocacy demands that voting rights be seen as inextricably bound to women's rights. The promise of democracy and its capacity to empower rests on the unhampered participation of all citizens. As such, safeguarding the voting rights of women of color ensuring equitable access to the polls, and advocating for fair representation must remain at the forefront of the feminist agenda. Only then can the movement fully honor its ethos of universal equality and justice. Part 8. From Ally to Accomplice. Embracing Active Solidarity in Feminism. In a world fraught with injustices that often hit closest to home for women of color, from the unimaginable pain of losing a child to brutality, to the egregious neglect of vital resources. It's natural, and sometimes necessary, to be driven by anger. That anger, contrary to some beliefs, can be an engine for change, lighting the fires of activism and perseverance. Mickey Kendall advocates for transforming this fury into a force for social justice. The crux of the matter is that being a passive ally in the feminist movement is not sufficient. 
What's needed is to be an accomplice. An accomplice in feminism is someone who moves beyond lip service to take concrete action, challenging structures of oppression and standing in solidarity with marginalized communities, regardless of personal benefit. To be an accomplice is to truly commit to dismantling white supremacy, to champion the causes of those at the margins, and to actively participate in redefining the feminist narrative. However, this role is neither straightforward nor comfortable. A key hurdle is overcoming the inherent difficulty in recognizing the gravity of issues that do not impact you directly. Moreover, allyship can sometimes entail unintended consequences, blurring into saviorism, where the line between support and domination can become perilously thin. To break away from this, feminist ideology must undergo rigorous introspection. The movement has all too often elevated the concerns and voices of the privileged, while the real strides made by feminism have frequently been supported by the unacknowledged labor of carers, cleaners, and countless other women who have traditionally toiled without due recognition. It's an urgent call to put aside institutionalized biases and recognize the repeated sidelining of women from underserved communities. To be more than just allies, but to become accomplices, one must channel resonant anger into purposeful action, rallying together to ensure that feminism not only hears, but also amplifies and addresses the diverse experiences of all women. In a world that is ready to label anger as impolite or counterproductive, we must reframe it as a powerful catalyst, a signal to roll up our sleeves and get to work with the conviction that feminism is not just for some, but for all. By doing so, we will step up from the peripheries to stand shoulder to shoulder with those who've awaited our shared fight for a fair and equitable future. Final summary. At its core, Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall issues a powerful call to action for a feminism that goes beyond the walls of privilege. Through the book, we navigate alongside the author as she reveals the often overlooked struggles of women and girls on the margins of society demonstrating how traditional feminism has failed to address their unique challenges. Kendall's narrative confronts us with the stark disparities faced by women of color in areas like poverty, education, and healthcare, where their voices and needs have been persistently ignored. She also challenges us to examine the role of law enforcement and carceral feminism in ensuring safety and justice, particularly as they relate to minority populations. What unfolds through these reflections is a clear directive. Feminism must be an inclusive movement that advocates for all women, regardless of race, socioeconomic status, or background. It's time to expand the feminist dialogue to truly understand and address the lived realities of those historically sidelined, affirming that their battles are our battles and their triumphs our collective milestones. For feminism to be truly transformative, it must be a unified crusade for equality, one that doesn't just open its doors but actively invites, listens, and acts upon the concerns of all women. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, 
give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.